Hey, Life Ken. Roger here, Director of Student Young Adult Ministry. So glad that you're with us, whether you're a brand new listener or a returning listener. Welcome. Uh, we want to make sure that you find your place in the community because we believe that you belong. So be sure to fill out a Connect card on our Now page. Let us know who you are, maybe some of the areas or questions you may be interested in this church, uh, but we'd love to get you plugged in. So be sure to fill one of those out. Let us know. Also, we're still in our Second Timothy series for the summer, and today you actually will be hearing from a guest speaker, Miss Rita Dodds. She's going to bring a great message. I hope you enjoy that. Give it a listen, and I'll catch back up with you in a couple minutes. Praise the Lord, <laughs> and good morning, Life Church Cantna. I hear that, uh, uh, that you're also referred to as Life Canton. So good morning and bless the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Honor to his name, honor to the pastors and the leadership here, and honor to the membership and the guests as well. And I am so very honored to be delivering the message here this morning, and I'd like to thank Pastor Jared for uh, inviting me to speak. Uh, now, the church has been looking at the book of 2 Timothy, and just to recap a little, Paul's second letter to Timothy, as well as his first, uh, was to a man who was Paul's son in the ministry, as some would put it, his protege, as others would put it. And in the first chapter of Timothy, we learned that Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, respectively, uh, they were both in the faith, and uh, the inference is that they brought uh, Timothy up in the faith from a very small boy. Uh, the text we'll be looking at today, as a matter of fact, that it points to that as well. So Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy sometime around 66 or 67 AD when he was in uh, prison in Rome. And Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wrote the letter uh, to give uh, Timothy encouragement and instruction in Timothy's role as pastor of the church located in the city of Ephesus. And the instructions that Paul gave to Timothy as a shepherd of the church, they apply in principle to all Christians, as we will see. So in keeping with the series on the second book of Timothy, our text for today will be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And I'll be reading uh, from the uh, New International Version of the Bible. That's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And it reads, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters, they'll go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy... You have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. This passage of scripture correlates with what Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthian church found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, which reads, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. And then verse 58 of the same chapter reads, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and unmovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and the reading of his word. Be unmovable. Being unmovable is a decision. Not only is it a decision, 
It's a command. It's something that we must purpose to do as we go about fulfilling our assignment in the Lord. The contemporary English version reads, stand firm and don't be shaken. The, the common English version reads, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord. The new English translation reads, be firm, do not be moved. The English translation of the Greek word immovable is amatakinetos and means not to be moved from its place. It means that a person is incapable of being moved. They can't be moved. It's not going to happen. People might knock them down, but they can't knock them out. They might shake them down, but they can't shake them up because the place that God has put them in is their place to be in, and they are standing steadfast in that place no matter what. They are unmovable. And with that said, the title of my message for today is Stand Your Ground. Stand Your Ground. Well, what does it mean to stand your ground? Well, in today's American modern vernacular, stand your ground usually conjures up images of self-defense initiative, which oftentimes results in a fatality, which subsequently leads to a criminal investigation as to whether or not the person who stood their ground had a legal right to do so. Stand your ground is a phrase that in the United States in particular refers to a law that allows one to use force against the person that is posing an immediate threat of serious bodily harm. But now for our purposes today, the phrase stand your ground will be defined closer to the original global definition and means to maintain one's position during an attack or when anticipating an attack. It means to refuse to yield or compromise and to stand up against an assault or an insult rather than retreat. It means to be unmovable. Now Paul is a great example of someone who is unmovable, who stood his ground. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Let's look at it again, and it reads, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So, what happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? What kind of persecution did Paul endure? Well, his persecution in the city of Antioch is documented in Acts chapter 13. Verses 13 to 15 gives us the following account. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Verse 14, from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue, they sat down. 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So the account goes on to tell us that in response to this, Paul ran everything down from Abraham to Jesus. But then in verses 44 and 45 of that same chapter, it reads, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Verses 49 through 52, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the, the leading men of the city. Uh, you know, they stirred up a persecution against Saul and Barnabas and, and Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so basically the Jews in Antioch, they became jealous of Paul 
and Barnabas, because of their jealousy, they began to contradict what Paul and Barnabas were saying, which means that whatever Paul and Barnabas taught, they said the opposite. And they were also verbally abusive towards them. One thing kept leading to another. And finally, after being spurred on by the people, the Jewish leaders incited the men and women of high standing against Paul and Barnabas, which means it, it got political. And Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of Antioch. As they left, they shook the dust off their feet and they went into the city of Iconium. So now let's see what happened in Iconium. Acts 14, verses 1 through 7 reads, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They, uh, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks, they believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So the people of the city were divided, verse 4. Some sided with the Jews and others sided with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them, verse 6. But they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so now the persecution in Iconium involved a plot to kill Paul and Barnabas. But they found out about this plot and they fled to Lystra and Derby, where they continued to preach the gospel. So now when Paul and Barnabas got to Lystra, the problem they had there was that the people were so impressed with the miraculous powers that God had given them that they wanted to worship them as gods. And Paul responded in this way in verses 14 and 15. He said, uh, when the disciples and Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, friends why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then verses 19 and 20 reads, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Verse 20, But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. So Paul was kicked out of Antioch, then he fled to Iconium where they plotted to kill him, then he fled to Lystra uh, where Paul was okay until some people from Antioch and Iconium were able to incite the people in Lystra against Paul, and before you know it, the people in Lystra, they tried to kill him by stoning him. They thought he was dead and, and walked away, and then the disciples gathered around Paul as he was lying there on the ground, and the account tells us that he got up and he went back into the city. In other words, Paul was miraculously healed and got up as if nothing had happened. God rescued him. And then the next day, they went to the city of Derby. And then what happened? Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They what? They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, most of us would have never stepped foot in any one of those cities again, especially after shaking the dust off our feet which really means that we would have no obligation to go back as Jesus taught in Matthew 10 and 14 when he told the disciples that if they go into a city and no one listens to them, then they are to leave that city and shake the dust off their feet. In other words, they are not obligated to return. But Paul and Barnabas returned. Why? Verse 22 tells us that they specifically went back in order to encourage the disciples there to remain true to the faith. Paul and Barnabas returned. Why? because they were unmovable, even in the face of persecution, especially in the face of persecution. And not only that, Paul speaks of his purpose, faith, 
patience, love, and endurance as prerequisites to being able to stand in the face of persecution. And looking at it again, verses 10 and 11 of Timothy chapter 3 reads, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. So Paul was able to endure persecution because he first possessed faith, patience, love, and endurance. Because without faith, patience, love, and endurance, he wouldn't have had the spiritual wherewithal and the stamina to stand up to the persecution. And it is the same with us. Without faith, love, patience, endurance, and without understanding God's purpose, we wouldn't have the spiritual wherewithal and stamina to stand up against the persecution that is sure to come our way. It takes a lot of faith and love, and not only love for people, but love for God's purpose to try to talk to folks, people about the gospel who, who not uh, only want to, they don't want to hear about the gospel, but who's going to come against you in some way because you're trying to tell them about the gospel. Which brings us back around to verses 12 and 13 in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which, which again reads, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. So what Paul is telling Timothy, which applies to the church as well, is that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So if you're living your life according to the scriptures, if you're living righteously, if you're not compromising the gospel and instead standing on the word of God in word and in deed, if you're serving the Lord in some capacity, then persecution is around the corner while all the people who do evil, they're not being persecuted. Oh, no. Mm -mm. But instead, they just go from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived. But despite this, Paul admonishes Timothy to continue in what he has learned. In other words, he was to continue in the word of God that his mother and his grandmother taught him, and he was to continue in the gospel of Christ regardless of what comes. And we who are in the church, uh, we must do the same thing. This, this also applies to the church. We must continue in the gospel of Christ regardless of what comes, and in doing so, we must be unmovable. We must stand our ground. Now, arguably, one of the greatest biblical examples that we have when it comes to standing, someone standing their ground as it pertains to standing firm in the faith uh, is the Apostle Paul. But in standing steadfast in the faith, Paul, he didn't have it easy. There were hurdles that he had to jump over, barriers that he had to break through, and challenges that he had to overcome. And when looking at these challenges that Paul had to overcome, it becomes apparent that there are three major challenges that he had to overcome and that he overcame that led to his success in standing firm in the faith and in the ministry that God called him to, that we as Christians must also overcome if we're going to be successful in standing firm in the faith and in the ministry that God called us to. So now the first challenge that Paul had to face on and overcome, head on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry that God called him to was the mental challenge of being caught by surprise when God called him. Paul's call to the ministry was an unexpected assignment. In other words, Paul wasn't expecting to be used as an instrument of God to preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, he was the biggest opponent of the gospel at the time, as attested to in Acts 9, 1 through 6, which reads, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. Verse 2, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Verse 3, and as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So Paul, whose name was also Saul, was threatening to murder God's people and was throwing them in prison. He was the number one enemy of the Christians at the time, so he would have never expected that the very person he was persecuting, because by persecuting God's people, Paul was in essence persecuting Jesus, the very person he was persecuting would have called him into the faith to preach the gospel. But that's exactly what happened. Later on in verse 15, the Lord describes Paul as his chosen instrument that he was going to use to proclaim his name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. So in a heartbeat, Paul went from persecutor to prophet, from hateful to holy, from sinister to spiritual, from being used by the devil to being used of God, but he had to change his mindset. This was an unexpected turn in his life, an unexpected assignment that he had to embrace. And it is the same with us. If we're going to live a godly, spiritually, holy, set apart, uncompromised life for God, then we have to change our mindset. And when God calls us to a ministry or gives us an assignment, more likely than not, it will be something unexpected that we did not necessarily plan to do if we had ever planned to do it. It's usually unexpected. We ask, who, me, Lord? Certainly not me. Oh, but why not you? Why not me? When God calls us to do something, no matter how unpopular it might be, we need to push past the challenge of the unexpectedness of our assignment and the tendency to think we're not qualified to do it or the temptation not to do it because we don't want to do it or because people might start to look at us kind of funny and just do it. Let them look at you funny. Be not afraid of their faces. <laughs> Jeremiah 1 and 8. Okay, so the first challenge that Paul had to face head on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry that God called him to was the mental challenge of an unexpected assignment. The second challenge that Paul had to face head on uh, and, and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry that got him to was folks. Paul had to overcome folks. What kind of folks are we talking about? Well, there's two kinds of folks in particular. The first are what I refer to as the second guessers. Folks second guess Paul. We see this in Acts 9, 26, and 27, which reads, well, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Verse 27, so then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So the challenge Paul experienced here is the same challenge we will experience when God calls us to do something. Ultimately, there will be someone who's not going to believe that God called you to do what God called you to do. And if you're not careful, not only will they second-guess you, but they will cause you to second-guess yourself and whether or not you actually heard from God, or worse yet, will cause you to second-guess God and question whether or not God really knows what he's doing. And when it comes to second-guessing you, they'll say, oh, you're too young, or you're too old, or your past life too messed up, or you don't have enough money, or you live in the wrong city, or you're too far away in the country, or you're a woman, or you don't look right, or you don't talk right, or you don't really have the talent. Or they'll, or they'll ask you, why would you want to be involved in something like that anyway? You know? And if you're not careful, they will discourage you from doing what God has told you to do. Don't let it happen to you. 
Don't second guess yourself, just do it. Yeah, if God told you to start a community service program, just do it. If God told you to write a book, just do it. If God told you to go into the nursing homes and talk with people on their deathbed, ju just do it. If God told you to work with kids, just do it. If God told you to work in the prisons, just do it. If, if, if God told you to, to preach the gospel, just do it. If God told you to pastor a church, just do it. It's, it's good to get a confirmation. Yes, I'm not saying that it's not, but ultimately, don't let folks dissuade you by making you second-guess yourself about what you know God told you to do. Ah, folks. Yeah, the other kind of folks Paul had to face head-on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry called, uh, God called him to was jealous folks. Jealous folks are the most dangerous and disruptive kind of folks to be challenged with. Proverbs 27 and 4 says, wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Now, we're not talking about a jealousy that is warranted, such as in an adulterous situation. No, we're talking about unwarranted, unbridled jealousy. We're talking about the kind of jealousy that took place in the city of Antioch against Paul. The, this don't make no kind of sense, jealousy. The, these folks have lost their mind kind of jealousy. Yeah. If we look at it again, we see in Acts 13, verses 44 and 45, then in Antioch, the whole city gathered to hear the, uh, the word of the Lord, and when the Jews saw the crowds, they became filled with jealousy. So that means not just a little jealousy, that's a lot of jealousy, because they became filled. And as a result, they began to contradict Paul and heap abuse on him. So their jealousy led them to go against everything Paul was saying. In other words, they were trying to make Paul out to be a liar. He'd say one thing, they'd say another. And then they'd heap abuse on him, which is, you know, when looking at the Greek, means that they used profanity against him, slandered him, and probably called him everything but a child of God. And the account tells us in verse 49 that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region anyway. So then what they did, verse 50 says, the Jewish leaders incited certain people in high places against Paul, women of high standing, and the leading men of the city, and that, that was enough of a political push to get Paul kicked out of the city. And all this was the result of jealous folks. And the same can happen with us, any of us who purpose to move forward in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ by word and deed, particularly when God has called us to do something in particular that promotes that gospel. When you begin to draw people to God, just as Paul began to draw people to God, and it doesn't have to be a large crowd like Paul. It can, it can be one or two people. You know, but still, don't be surprised if there are those who become jealous and begin to contradict everything you say and say bad things about you and talk about you behind your back and maybe even in front of your face. And this doesn't have to be on a large scale. This, this, this kind of thing can happen on a small scale, you know, right there inside your home with one of your family members or right there on the job with one of your co-workers or right there in your neighborhood with one of the neighbors or wait, wait a minute, wait, oh, wait, or even, even right there in the church with one of the saints. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's one thing to have strangers come against you spiritually, but it's another thing to have people you know come against you. The latter is harder to stand up against, which is why the devil does what he can do, anything he can do to influence people who are close to us to dissuade us. But keep standing anyway. Be unmovable. Because after a while, if they can't move you out of the way, then eventually they'll move out of the way and aim for an easier target. It's like a torpedo in the water, just looking for a target. Oh, okay, so the first challenge that Paul had to face head on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith 
And in the ministry that God called them to was the mental challenge of an unexpected assignment. The second challenge that Paul had to face head on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry God called him to was folks. And so the third and final challenge that Paul had to face head on and overcome when it came to standing firm in the faith and in the ministry God called him to is something we've touched on earlier, and that is facing the challenge of persecution. The Greek word for persecution that is used in the text is diagmos, and it means to pursue, to chase, to hunt, to hunt down, to suppress, or to punish someone for their conviction, to obliterate. Now, I've been using the word persecution in a broader sense of the word to mean any serious backlash that we as Christians might experience as a result of practicing our faith and adhering to the assignment that God has called us to and simply telling the truth of the gospel. Some of us will even be persecuted just by identifying ourselves as Christians. But 1 Peter 4 and 16 says, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In our text, Paul makes mention of being persecuted in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But he was also writing his letter to Timothy from a prison in Rome. The authorities, they had thrown him in jail for taking a stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw that he was ousted from Antioch, threatened in Iconium, and stoned within an inch of his life in Lystra, but God rescued him, and Paul went on to continue in the things of the Lord. The text says that those of us who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, which means that those of us who are saved, who stand firm in the faith, and in the ministry that God has called us to will be persecuted in one way or another by those who second-guess us or by those who become jealous of what God is doing in our ministry or by others for a multitude of other reasons. The aim is to get us to stop doing whatever it is God told us to do, to make us feel so uncomfortable that we begin second-guessing ourselves in our Christian walk or that we decide we'd rather be comfortable, a comfortable Christian, and not rock the boat instead of a bold Christian and steer the boat. Yeah, it's already hard enough dealing with folks who are upset about what we are and what we represent. We, we, don't, we don't also want to deal with the persecution that comes along with those folks. But if we're going to be effective in the faith, we have to keep pushing towards the mark. Even if what we say doesn't match with the political and social views of others, we have to tell the biblical truth. Even if folks try to kill our spirit or even if they set out to kill us literally. I heard somebody say once that we are invincible until we finish the work of the Lord that God has assigned us to do. And I, I believe that. Not invincible in our own might, but in the mighty power of God. I believe uh, we see that with Paul. Uh, when they stoned him and then the disciples, they surrounded uh, him and then he got up and kept going. That shows me that no matter where or who persecution might come from, nothing can stop any of us from doing God's will if we're actually doing God's will until God says it's time to stop or until God stops it, or until God allows it to stop. God is all-powerful. What he says goes. So I don't care if persecution comes from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, from Antioch, from Iconium, from Lystra, from Detroit, from Canton, from Southfield, from Livonia, or from Timbuktu. God can rescue us just like he rescued Paul. He's the same God now as he was then. So stand strong, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't you move from your position in Christ. God's got you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, saints, be unmovable in the faith. 
and in your work for the Lord and stand your ground. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's Word that says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life in his kingdom, which has no end. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's word that says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's word that says that by no other name, but by the name of Jesus Christ, that we uh, can be saved. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's word that says that in this world we will have trouble, but that we must take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Oh, what ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's word that says that we know that all things uh, work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. What ground? This ground. The solid ground of God's word that says who? shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, uh, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh. Ah. So, if you know that 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 God has called you to do something and there's no doubt in your mind that he has called you, then don't allow anyone else to make you second guess yourself. Don't allow the unexpectedness of it all to deter you, hinder you, or make you wait. Don't allow any persecution that comes your way to dissuade you. Follow the example of Paul. Follow the example of the prophets. Follow the example of the apostles. Follow the example of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Follow the example of Mary. Follow the example of Daniel. Follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be unmovable, be unbreakable, be unshakable. And with all the spiritual wherewithal and determination you can muster, stand your ground. Welcome back. Uh, what a powerful message. Just a, an affirmation and encouragement for us to stand firm in our faith. I hope that you were encouraged by Miss Alrita's message. I hope you took away something for it to uh, get you through this week. Uh, but I also want to remind you that uh, there's so much that God is up to in this community. As we stand firm in our faith, he's going to move us and do great things in this community and around this community uh, through his power. Uh, so if you want to participate in that, uh, there's lots of ways to do that, but one way is by giving. So feel free to head over to our Life Church Canton forward slash give page um, to be a part of that and to give uh, maybe even a recurring gift to support the mission of this church. Well, I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that you find opportunities and the strength to stand firm in your faith today, and we'll talk to you real soon. Bye.